Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We've reached the last chapter. Uh, if you guys know this, we're in Acts chapter 28. Um, and so we'll be in this book this Sunday and next Sunday, and then we'll be done. Today we are looking at Acts 28 verses 1 through 10. It says this, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they were kindled, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Thus sends our reading of God's powerful word. May all who hear it understand the full extent of Christ's victory. Like I said earlier, we're getting, we getting so close to the end of this book of Acts. Next Sunday will be our last time in it. And my hope is that, that this book has not only given you knowledge, knowledge into how God expands his kingdom, but, but that it has changed you from deep within, giving you this desire to be a part of Christ's kingdom work, a work that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's really the theme of this book of Acts, is it not? That... that, that this, this is what we saw right at the beginning when, when Jesus gave his commissioning to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven and took his throne. What, what did Jesus say to them? Look, look again at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so in these few, few short words from our Lord, we, we see the vision of Christ's kingdom as well as the purpose for his church. That, that we would be a people empowered by the Holy Spirit. That, that we wouldn't rely in our own strength, but, but, but in the strength of God Almighty in order to accomplish the task that he has set out for us. 
And what is that task? That we would be his witnesses. That we would proclaim Jesus, both who he is and what he has done, in order to bring salvation to the lost world all around us. That we would proclaim that Jesus is God in human flesh. And that through his life, death, resurrection, and his ascension, he has brought all those, he has brought to all those who believe his righteousness, his forgiveness, newness of life, as they submit to his authority. And so salvation comes to all those who turn from their sins and place their trust in this King of Kings. This, this, my friends, is the message that we are to proclaim. But to whom are we to proclaim it? What did Jesus say? We are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, we are, we are to take this message, this gospel proclamation, and we are to declare it to all peoples in all places. And this is what we've seen in this book, have we not? From, from the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem up to the point where this, where this ship has wrecked upon the island of Malta, we, we've seen the gospel go out emphatically. It has gone out to the Jews. It has gone out to the Samaritans. It has gone out to the Syrians. It has gone out to the, to the Cretans. It has gone out to the Galatians and to the Asians and, and to the Macedonians and to the Achaeans. And what we see today is no exception for the people on this small, small island of Malta. They would see the kingdom power of Jesus Christ in full display. And they would see it through Jesus' apostle, this man named Paul. But how did Paul get there? How did he arrive at Malta? If you remember, the Apostle Paul was called to go to Rome. And he was finally making his way to Rome after being arrested and held captive for two years in the city of Caesarea. Paul had finally made his appeal to Caesar, and now he was being transported to, to the city in which the Holy Spirit had called him to go. But the journey there did not go as planned, did it? A northeaster, a powerful tempest, had struck the ship that he was on, and, and they were tossed to and fro by the waves, and, and for 14 days they were lost at sea. And finally, after battling this storm for such a long, long time, the, the, the mariners on this ship and Paul himself, they found salvation on the shores of this small island called Malta. Having struck a, a reef, the ship became immovable. And because the waves were so fierce, the, the, the ship was actually being broken apart by the surf. And so the lot of them, they had to, they had to swim for their lives they had to swim to shore. 
And yet in God's providence, every single one of the 276 men who were on that ship, they survived. Each man made it to the island. And that is where we are. That's where we pick up our story today. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2 again. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. And so they're on this island called Malta. And if you, if you take a look at our map, you can see Malta's right there. Paul's trying to get right there to Rome. It's not that far. It's about 100 miles from Sicily, about 400 miles from Rome. Paul was almost there. He was almost to that final destination where the Holy Spirit had called him. And yet he would have to wait until the winter months were over before they could set sail again. And so he, he was there for roughly three months. Now, now when you think about this, when, when 276 men wash up on shore on a small inhabited island. Well, there's bound to be someone who's going to notice, right? Mm -hmm. And pretty soon, many of the native people from the nearby towns had gathered to that beach. Now, now here's the thing. If you simply look at our English translation, you're going to miss the heart of what Luke is saying here. This is one spot where I feel that the ESV and really the majority of our modern-day translations miss the boat. Look at, look at verse 2 again. This, only this time, let's read it from the King James. See if you can spot the difference. And the barbarous people shoot us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. I mean, did you see it? Instead of saying the native people, the King James translated it as the barbarous people. And you'll find the same thing in verse 4. And that's because the Greek word that Luke actually uses is barbaroi. Luke calls these inhabitants of Malta Barbaroi or barbarians. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, those who were considered barbaroi or barbarians were, were those who were unhellenized, meaning that they had not taken upon themselves Greco-Roman culture. This meant these, these people predominantly spoke their own native tongue, which would have been some form of Phoenician a Semitic language, because that's the, the origin of these people. And so they didn't speak Greek, they didn't speak Latin, at least not at a proficient level. But not only would their primary language have been different from the rest of Rome, but, but so would have their customs and, and their traditions. And so they spoke differently, and they dressed differently, and they acted differently. And because of all this, they would have been seen as well, let's just say less refined, right? Because they were different. They were called barbaroi. 
They were barbarians. And even in some of Paul's letters, he, we, we see him making this same distinction between Greeks and barbarians. Look at, look at Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Here, here the ESV gets it right. I, I, am under the, the, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the, to the foolish. And again, the Greek word that is used here is barbaroi. Only, only this time, the ESV translates it the way it should be translated. Now, not everyone on this island was, was this way. Not everyone from Malta would have been considered Barbaroi. For Malta was still under the control of the Roman Empire. But where Paul and these other men had washed ashore, that area was populated predominantly by the Barbaroi, the barbarians. And yet Luke mentions that these unrefined Barbaroi displayed unusual kindness. This was... Luke's tongue-in-cheek way of saying that these people did not behave as one would expect, right? That they weren't acting like a barbarian. You know, even though they were barbaroi, they, they, they were a more noble people than what the Romans typically thought of when, when people haven't been Hellenized. They weren't the savages that they were made out to be. Instead, these folk, they, they displayed compassion. Compassion for these, these mariners who had washed up to their shore, for these refugees who, had, who were so lost and in such need. And what did they do? They, they built this huge fire, right? A, a fire big enough to, to keep 276 men who were cold and soaking wet warm. Now that's a lot of wood that you need to gather, isn't it? but it demonstrates the hospitable hearts that these people had. Look, look, look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see, Jesus honors those who honor his disciples. Perhaps Jesus would honor these people. Perhaps Jesus would honor these Barbaroi. Let's find out. Look at, look at verses 3 and 4. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people, when the Barbaroi saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So Paul, being the servant that he was, was, was helping to gather wood for the fire, right? And yet, 
what occurred. Because of the heat of the fire, it attracted this, this viper as well. You know, being a, a cold-blooded animal, it too wanted to find some warmth. And yet, what this serpent found was the Apostle Paul's hand. It showed its fangs and it clamped down. And this led these natives, these Barbaroi, to believe that Paul was some type of wicked man, perhaps even a murderer. For even though he had escaped the sea, justice had now found him. Now when these people used the word justice, they were not just talking about some philosophical concept. That's not what they meant. What these people meant was, when they said justice was, was that one of the gods whom they worshipped, this goddess named Justice, was bringing about her divine vengeance upon the apostle. Now, now consider this from the perspective of these islanders. I mean, these people, they, they didn't view things as chance. Paul wasn't some random, unlucky fool who drew the short straw. No, their worldview didn't allow for that. Rather, there were higher authorities who were there to make sure that justice is being served. And so these people were certain that Paul had to be a, a wicked, wicked man. And so what does this tell us about this barbarous people? That they had some sense of right and wrong, right? That they knew good from evil. Look at, look at Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so in God's grace, the, the law of God has been written upon the hearts of these people, even though they did not know God and did not have his law. And that's by God's grace. And yet at the same time, there was confusion in the way that God's law was enforced. For this viper's venom was not intended to bring about divine justice. Rather, there was a greater purpose behind it. Look at, look at verses 5 and 6. He, being Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And so we see that these locals, that these Barbaroi were, were expecting their goddess named Justice to do her thing. And yet when the snake perished in the fire and the, and the apostle of Jesus Christ suffered no ill effects... Well, they changed their minds. It, this occurrence brought about an utter amazement to these people. You know, maybe he's not a murderous villain. Maybe, perhaps, he's one of the gods that has come down to be with us. 
I mean, think about it. Not only did Paul survive a shipwreck, but now he's survived this viper's bite. And so there must, have, must be some type of divine power within him. And again, this lines up perfectly with the worldview that they had. Remember, nothing for them happens by chance. If this viper's bite, if it wasn't an act of divine justice, well, then it had to be something else. It had to be evidence that Paul himself was divine. There's still confusion among these people, is there not? They, they had not yet realized that their worldview was askew. It was off. And the reason they had not realized that was because the light of the one true God had yet to shine upon them. Yes, there was a divine power at play, but not from Paul, but from the one whom Paul served. Look at, look at Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Here we see Jesus speaking to 72 of his disciples after he had sent them out to do his kingdom work. This is what Jesus said. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Or look at Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. Here we see from Mark's perspective the, 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 the Great Commission. Jesus is commissioning to his apostles right before he ascended into heaven. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They, they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so from these passages, we know from Jesus himself the purposes behind these things, behind this viper's bite upon Paul's hand. For one, it was a protection that Jesus gave to those who are going about his kingdom work. But more importantly, it was also a sign it was a sign for all those to whom the gospel would be preached. And so, yes, there was a divine power at play, but that power was the power of Jesus Messiah. Listen, Paul wasn't some snake handler, right? He wasn't one of those preachers up in the Appalachian Mountains trying to impress their, their congregation by wrapping themselves in poisonous vipers. And yet at the same time, Paul was unfazed when he was bitten. And why should he have been? After all, God had already promised to him that he would reach Rome. 
that he would declare the good news of Jesus Christ to Caesar himself. And so Paul knew that the fangs of this viper would not lead to death. But what it would lead to was an opportunity to witness to these barbaroi, to these barbarians. It was an opportunity to declare that the kingdom of Jesus Messiah had come to their shores. And yet this wouldn't be the only sign that Jesus would give to these people. Look at verses 7 and 8. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. Now, now this Publius, he was the ruling official over this island. He, he would not have been one of those who would have been considered a barbaroi. Rather, he would have either been a Hellenized citizen from Malta or he was actually a Roman who had been placed there in order to govern. Well, whatever the case, he, he was the man in charge. And in God's providence, he just so happened to be visiting one of his estates near that shoreline when Paul's ship had lodged itself on the reef. And just like the other islanders, he too showed kindness to these refugees. He, he welcomed these men into his own home, giving them food and drink and rest for three days. And in God's providence, it just so happened that this man's father was very ill. Luke tells us that he suffered from fever and from dysentery. Basically, this, this man had some type of epidemia, such as malaria or typhoid. And in the first century, such a fever, well, it would often lead to death. Particularly with a man who was probably well advanced in age, as this, as this man was. So things were looking pretty grim in the household of Publius. And yet it was no, no coincidence that the Apostle Paul had washed up on Publius' shore. And this provided one more opportunity for Paul to declare that the kingdom of Jesus had come to the island of Malta. Paul went to Publius' father. He prayed for that man. He laid his hands upon that man, asking his Lord Jesus to bring about his healing power. And guess what? Jesus brought about his healing power. He took the disease away, giving this man a full recovery. Now, now think about all this. When, when, when you have a man who survived a shipwreck, and then immediately after survived a venomous bite from a deadly viper, and now he's being used by God to heal the sick, well, this is big news, is it not? I mean, to have one of those things happen could be viewed as good fortune. 
To have two of those things happen could be written off as some curious coincidence. But to hit the trifecta, well, this would even open the eyes of the greatest skeptic. And on such a small island, you you can't keep this news contained, can you? Look look at verse 9. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And so word spread fast, did it not? All who were sick, all upon that island, were now brought to Paul. They were now healed, just as Publius's father was healed. Remind you of anything? I mean, think about the ministry of Jesus, how the crowds would would gather to him, how people would bring all their sick, all their blind, all their crippled. But this was just evidence that the kingdom of God was breaking through into new territory. Christ's rule was coming to the island of Malta. Now, 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 we have to consider these things carefully. Through, throughout this book of Acts, we have seen the gospel go out to many different people groups. And each time that a, a new group was reached, it was always evidenced by signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when the gospel came to the Jews, it was proven by the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the speaking of tongues. And then later in the book of Acts, when the gospel went to the Samaritans, it wasn't until the apostles had visited and laid their hands upon the people that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And then even later, when Peter had received that great vision from God of all the animals, when God told him, kill and eat, and Peter said, I have never touched anything that's unclean. I have never eaten unclean food. What God say? Do not call unclean what God has made clean. Well, what happened? God then brought Peter to this man named Cornelius, right? This God-fearing Gentile. And Peter brought the saving message of Jesus Christ to that household. And in what seemed to be a third Pentecost, these God-fearers, these Gentiles in Cornelius' house, these ones who had no blood ties to the Jewish people at all, they began speaking in tongues as well, demonstrating that Jesus had now welcomed them into his kingdom. And now here, Luke is introducing a fourth category, a fourth people group. These people whom he called Barbaroi. These people who are unhellenized. And now they were the ones who were receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. And the evidence that God was using to demonstrate to them that Jesus Christ is Lord, it came in the form of these, these signs. For one, there was the, the miraculous salvation of every man aboard that ship. 
And then Jesus showed his particular protection over his own apostle when the viper had stricken. And now Jesus was using his healing power over disease and sickness. All who had the fever on that island were healed. Now, now considering where we have gone to in this book of Acts, and considering the commissioning that Jesus had given to his disciples, this commissioning to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, well, what can we conclude? We've been to Jerusalem. We've been to Judea. We've been to Samaria. And we've even entered into much of the Gentile world. And yet here on this island of Malta, there is something unique about these people. Something that we haven't seen before. For even though they were technically under Roman control, they were still considered barbaroi. They were barbarians. Those who were not Romans. And so this gospel was not to be contained within the confines of the Roman world. But just as Jesus had said, his message was to go to the ends of the earth. And in many respects, the Apostle Paul had now reached the ends of the earth. Yes, his intention was to go to Rome, to the epicenter of the known world. And yet this detour that God had taken him upon, well, that was planned. That was purposed. And that's because God's kingdom must spread over the whole of the earth, even to the coastlands, to these barbarous people. Consider Isaiah chapter 42, verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Dear friends, I, I hope you understand that the heart of the Lord, that his compassion has always been towards those who are living in darkness, towards those who are lost, towards those who are caught in the lies of the devil, towards those who have been enslaved by these false gods, those who have been enslaved in their own sin, towards those who have yet to see the light, who have yet to witness the salvation of our Lord. And what's crazy about all this is that this tiny, tiny island, it really wasn't that far from Rome, from, from the heart of civilization at that time. And so while the, while the ends of the earth can be categorized in, in distance, it can also be categorized in terms of the amount of gospel light that a people have received. And Malta was a land living in darkness. And yet because of God's providential leading, a bright light had now come to their shores. In, in America today, we, we tend to think of ourselves as advanced and civilized. That we are enlightened. But are we? Really? 
Can, can we really say that we are a cultured society when we can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman? Can, can we really claim that we aren't barbarians when we slaughter unborn babies by the millions? Can we really declare that we are civilized when, when we have cast off any sense of morality in order that we might worship ourselves? Yes, we, 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 may have, we may have advanced in our scientific knowledge. And we may have access to technologies that our great-grandparents could only dream about. But what have those technologies done for us? And we, we've used many of them to, to isolate ourselves from any true human connection. And they have be, become really our, our overwhelming crutch to lean upon in order that we no longer have to rely upon our Creator, upon our God. Dear friends, you, you don't have to go to distant lands to find the ends of the earth. You just need to step out your front door. And you're already there. If you want to find the Barbaroi, if you want to find the barbarians, well, they are your neighbors. They are your friends. They are your family. They are, they are the stranger that's walking down the street. This, this nation of ours it can no longer be considered a Christian nation. Not, not when the majority of us live in such rampant rebellion to God's perfect law. And you want to talk about barbarians, well, you, all we need to do is look in the mirror. The, these people from, from the island of Malta, they may have been barbaroi to the Romans, but they had a greater sense of what it truly means to be civilized than most Americans do today. They showed hospitality. And it's even demonstrated further in our last verse. Look at, look at verse 10. What does it say? It says, They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And so when the Apostle Paul left the island of Malta, he left as if he were an honored dignitary. In great thankfulness, not only for the healings, but also for, for Paul's gospel witness, these uncivilized barbaroi blessed these castaways by showing them great honor. They supplied them with whatever they needed, making sure that their voyage to Rome would be successful. Now, now think about this. The Apostle Paul, he had visited numerous, numerous places over his years as a missionary. He had brought the gospel to many cities throughout the Roman Empire. And what was the common response that we saw in all those cities? Yes, there were many who, who were gifted faith by God and believed, but, but in almost every city that Paul had proclaimed Jesus, he had to face persecution. 
In some instances, he was run out of town. In other instances, he was arrested. He was once stoned and left for dead. And he had enemies who were willing to travel great distances just to see him killed. This is what, what the civilized, unbarbaric world of the Romans had to offer. And yet here on this island of Malta, here among these Barbaroi, we see nothing but hospitality and kindness, as well as great honor when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had come to the ends of the earth Maybe not geographically, but definitely culturally. And what he found was a welcomed response. They welcomed this Savior, this King named Jesus Christ. And finally, the last thing we must consider as we near the end of this book of Acts is that what Luke is testifying to and, and what we are witnessing through this testimony is that the commission of Jesus Christ was being fulfilled by that early church. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Dear friends, do you see it? Christ is winning. His rule is expanding, and there is nothing that his enemies can do about it. The, the, the Jewish religious leaders, what did they try to do? They tried to, to kill Jesus' messenger, and they failed. The, the Roman governors, they, they put Paul on trial, and yet they could find no charge against him. The, the, the storm, the tempest, tried to sink Paul's boat, but it couldn't. And this venomous viper, when it had sunk its teeth into Paul's hand, it had no ill effect. In fact, the result of all of these things was that the brilliant, brilliant light of the gospel of Jesus Christ was shining brighter each and every day. And Christ is still winning today. It may not say, seem that way to you because we, we live in a darkened land. We live in a land filled with barbarians. And yet if you travel around the world today, you will see that the ends of the earth are being reached. The gospel has penetrated into almost every culture. The message of Jesus has been translated into almost every language. Christ's kingdom continues to grow as more and more hearts are declaring Jesus as their king. And God is now calling upon you to join in. To shine his light into the dark crevices of our world. To, to, to the Barbaroi who are all around you. The ends of the earth are located just outside your door. So be a witness for King Jesus, as he empowers you with his Holy Spirit. That is the calling. That is your duty. And the great thing about it is that Christ 
is with you every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that your son, Jesus Christ, that he is victorious. That each and every day he is turning hearts towards himself. And we pray that, 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 that he would do the same thing right here in our midst, right here in, in Oxford, Michigan. And we pray that we would be a part of this expanding kingdom, that we would be a part of his victory, that he would use us to be his witnesses. But we need your Holy Spirit in order to accomplish this. We cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot open our, our mouths and declare Jesus without your Holy Spirit showing us what to say. And so we ask that you would empower us each and every day. That you'd give us courage. That you'd give us boldness. That your light would shine to the people who are living in darkness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.